Amen. Amen. Uh, the kids went back to school this week, and I got to tell you, my boys started school, and it was an incredible relief. I'm sure some of you parents can, can empathize. A huge, huge relief because we've had all these lockdowns coupled with this freak weather which kept them inside for days and days, weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally there was some freedom and I didn't quite know what to do with myself. And I was a little, I missed them a little bit, but mostly it was just relief. As I was dropping them off at school, I had a flashback. I had a memory of when I was in primary school. I remember when I was in year three, my teacher, Mrs. Dodson, uh, had us all do a creative writing task. We all had to write a story. So we wrote our stories and we handed them in to the teacher and went out for recess. And when we came back, I saw that she'd uh, made photocopies of my story, of the big pile of them, and she started passing them out to every person in the class. And then she said, this story has the worst spelling and grammar of any story I've ever received so we are going to correct it as a class exercise. And we spend the next half hour going through, pointing out each and every one of my mistakes. And it was so humiliating. So, so humiliating. I felt about two inches tall. And the thing about humiliation is, it stays with us so easily. We remember it with such clarity. You're walking down the street and it just pops into your head. There it is. And I remember very little about primary school, but I remember quite a few humiliations. I remember getting out for a first ball duck playing cricket in the playground. And I remember calling my teacher mum by accident and everybody laughing at me. And I remember Mrs. Dodson passing out my poorly written creative writing piece. Humiliation, it gets to us. It lodges itself in us. It makes us feel like we're not worthy, not good enough, a little bit useless. It does real damage. It's lethal. It kills us. And it seems to be like an unfortunate truth that it's very easy to get knocked down in life, but very, very difficult to get back up again. So what can we do? What can we do when we've uh, had a life of humiliation? Well, the antidote to humiliation is glory. Glory is the opposite. Glory makes a difference here. And glory is one of those words you hear about in church a whole lot. It's in the songs, it's in the prayers, but it's very rarely defined. And look, it's a, it's a multi-layer word, but what's relevant today is that glory means to lift something up. To, uh, uh, something that's glorious is covered in praise. A glorious thing inspires awe and wonder in us. I'll give you an example. I was at this conference in the inner city of Sydney. Um, it was a living one. It was really, really boring and it was 40 degrees heat, so it was hot and it was just the worst. So I thought, I'm going to drive into Newtown and go to a record store or a bookstore and just take my mind off things and maybe I could pick myself up a little bit. And as I was driving past Inmore Theatre, I stopped at the lights and Tim Rogers, who's the lead singer of a band called UMI, one of my favourite bands, bounds it out in front of me. 
and he's a big tall fella and he was wearing a purple suit despite the heat except he had no shirt on so his chest hair was you know glistening in the sun and he wore like a cravat one of those necktie things and his long hair was flowing in the wind like a lion's mane and he was bold and exuberant and I my spirits lifted and I thought this fella is magnificent he is glorious I, I covered him in glory And in the New Testament, whenever Jesus talks about going to his crucifixion, he talks about it as his glory. He says, I am going to my glory. And that's because to give your life for others is the most glorious thing a person can do. The most praiseworthy thing that can be done. Sacrifice is always glorious. And this is the great sacrifice. And then Jesus was resurrected, brought back to life, which is incredible, which inspires awe and wonder, which made him even more glorious, just like super, super, super glorious. And now he lives covered in glory by us, but more importantly, by God. God, the source of glory, covers Jesus in glory, sees him as magnificent. Right, And this is the mind-bending good news part, right? Before Jesus went to die, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed that the glory he earns on the cross would be shared with those who follow him. So the glory he earns through his great sacrifice would be shared with all those who follow him and put their trust in him. And that means that God would look upon us as just as magnificent as he looks upon Jesus. That just as he covers Jesus in glory, he covers us in glory. That God would look upon us with as much with, with more delight than I looked upon Tim Rogers in his purple suit. He would see us as fantastic, fantastic people. C.S. Lewis uh, preached on this once, quite a famous sermon. And he said that uh, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're made famous with God. We're famous in his eyes. But he says, and this is important, but he says, for many of us, this might not seem like such a big deal, right? Because some of us have received affirmation and praise in our life. I had very affirming parents, very good parents. And I've had my share of wins like everyone does. But most of us would probably say that the affirmation and the praise lifts you up for a very short time and then you're brought back down. It kind of seems like humiliation is way more potent than affirmation, right? Humiliation will lift you up for a little while. Affirmation will crush. I mean, affirmation will lift you up for a little while. Humiliation will crush you for a very, very long time. So when we hear that God thinks we're glorious, you kind of think, well, what, what, yeah, all right, that's nice. But, but here's the thing. Um, this God's glory is not ordinary glory. It's not like the glory we find here on earth. God is the true judge of our character. And God judges us to be glorious. Glorious. Charles Taylor, 
Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century. Uh, he went to Oxford University as a Rhodes Scholar, became, this is going to die on me, uh, became uh, uh, an Oxford professor. He gets published by Harvard. He's won all the most prestigious prizes that a philosopher can win. And he wrote a book about the self, about our identity. And he said that, look, all of us throughout history have needed to have our identity affirmed. We need to be told that we are good, worthwhile, moral people. And it drives so much of what we do to be that good, worthwhile, moral person. We need to have affirmation. But he says, none of us ever find it on earth. He says we have an affirmation crisis. There's a chronic shortage of affirmation. A chronic glory shortage. So that's your starting point, right? We need to be affirmed. It's just human nature to be affirmed, but we, we never seem to get enough of it. So then he goes through all the great thinkers and philosophical systems which influence us today. And he finds that all of them agree. All of them agree that we need this affirmation. All of them. So, for instance, Frederick Nietzsche, who you read a lot about these days, very influential on how we think in this time and in this culture. He says that, yes, all people want to be good and moral, worthwhile people. But he argues that there's no such thing as good and moral and worthwhile. We've just made that up. It's a construct. It's a myth. So our only hope for happiness is to get rid of all morality and get rid of all sense of goodness. Only then where we'd be happy people. Now, that's a fairly bleak solution, which you can consider in your own time. But the point is, even Frederick Nietzsche believes that we need this affirmation and we can't find it. We have an affirmation crisis. So Taylor works through all these ideas and he concludes that the depth and fullness of affirmation we need can only come from a divine source. Can't be found here on earth. It can only come from a divine source. And he says, our best hope for that affirmation is the Judeo-Christian God. It's God. It's God. The glory you've been seeking your entire life is God's glory. You have a supernatural need and you need a supernatural solution. And the system that God put in place is not one where we earn this glory and affirmation from God. It's one where Jesus earns it and then shares it with us. He earns it on our behalf and gives it to all of those who follow him. And you know, this might seem like a, a, a strange thing very mysterious. Even if you've been in the church a long time and, you, and you've been told this kind of stuff a lot of times, it can still feel very odd, like it's a bold step into new, new territory. To live your life believing that Jesus has earned glory for you. How strange. But think of how much humiliation hurts you. And think of how much you crave affirmation. You are already living in that territory. You're already there. 
The solution is no more mysterious than the problem. And you already believe in the problem. You already believe in the darkness. Now it's time to believe in the light. So friends, uh, put your trust in Jesus. Believe that he earns your glory for you. Have this image of the cross before you in your mind. And I tell you, the more time you spend gazing at that cross and seeing Jesus earn that glory for you, the more real that glory will be for you in your life. The more you will know that Jesus loves you. Jesus thinks you are magnificent. Jesus and God thinks that you are glorious. Glorious.